Ashton, we're back. Yes, we are. Episode two, round dose. Well, round one, episode two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're excited to be here. This is Between Every Two Pines, which is a podcast um, named after the famous quote by John Muir, Between Every Two Pines is a Doorway to a New World. Yeah, and we uh, covered a little bit of history on him on our last podcast, so if you missed that, please check that out. Yep. Episode one, a new world for us. Yeah, <laughs> podcasting. Um, so yeah, week two here, and uh, we have a new topic. What's our topic? Wildfire. Wildfire. It's all over the news. Um, shoot, every year it's all over the news. Yeah, it seems to be. You know, every year it's like this is the worst year for it. Right. So I mean, next year could be worse. <laughs> Hopefully not, but yeah, the way it's trending. Yep. And uh, we live. Currently in the panhandle of Florida, where there are wildfires. Yeah, but just nothing compared to, you know, what's going on out west. Yeah, yeah, which is more of wild land, what would be considered wild land fires. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll cover that here in just a few minutes. We'll get into all that. That's correct. Good call. Good call there, Ashton. Uh, we are going to start with our tree of the day today. And uh, what's our tree? Sassafras. That's it. Sassy Sassafras. <laughs> a favorite of ours um let's think about the sassafras what are some fun facts um the first thing that pops out to me well there's two things that pop out to me with the sassafras is the bark and the leaves very yes, absolutely very definitive if you were to walk up to a sassafras tree what is the first thing you would look at to id it? the first thing i noticed are the leaves um yeah. that's just it pops out right at you mm-hmm. you know you see those Three different leaf shapes. Um, oh, by the way, the three leaf shapes are mitten-shaped, like an oval, and then uh, three-lobed. Right. Um, so the oval, I think, is technically called entire because it's yeah, will vary. Just fun fact for the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's the mitten shape that gets me every time. Oh yeah. And um, the one that has like three lobes. I mean, still compared to it, kind of looks like the, um, like the fat forks that you use like for a salad. I have no idea what those are called. <laughs> That's um, true. It's like a fat fork. Oh yeah, good call. Maybe they'll name the tree that again. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing for me is the bark. Uh, one of the first things you do is you'll whip out your pocket knife if you have one and just scrape a little bit of the bark, and it's gonna have a very strong scent to it. Um, how do you? It smells like root beer. Yeah, that's it. Root beer. Yeah. Nice. Um, the roots are even stronger than that. You pull one of those up and you take that root and break it a little bit and it just, wow, it just hits you. Nice. And you mentioned to me earlier today that you can make tea out of that. Yeah, roots. you can. Um, so it was actually like a staple um, years and years ago in the South. They would take the root and from what I've heard, they peeled back that outer husk. And then took the inside of that bark, cleaned it up real good, put it in a pot of water, and then just boiled the heck out of it. Nice. Yeah, and it uh, apparently has some medicinal uses. Those are still questionable. Yeah. But they were used for things like arthritis, blood pressure, high blood pressure. Um, it was used for, like, swelling of the sinuses, so, like, your throes and your nose. Yeah. And your nose. <laughs> um and then like urinary tract infections apparently it's supposed to help with that too nice 
but actually uh, it's been banned by the FDA. What? Uh, you can't sell it anymore because it has a chemical in it called saffron. I believe okay. I'm pronouncing that correctly. But it uh, in high quantities, it can be pretty toxic. Oh, apparently. wow. Yeah, so you can't really sell sassafras tea anymore. That makes sense. Hmm. Good to know because I was thinking about maybe trying it. And uh... But from what I heard, it has to be like high quantities of it. Like wow. You have to drink gallons and gallons of it for it to have any effect on you. You realize in order for them to learn this, somebody had to do that. I know, right? No, just... <laughs> <laughs> no hopefully it, that was not the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one of the other uses that sticks out to me is obviously you make filet with the dried leaves. goes in gumbos. The internet said it's used to thicken soups. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, with uh, Cajun heritage, they all they all know about um, filet gumbo and the use of sassafras leaves. So it is some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you can buy it in a jar, but the real, real traditional Cajuns mm-hmm. still grind it with a mortar and pedestal. <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> that is it. Um, okay, what else about sassafras? Um, so we can talk about the range of sassafras. Mm-hmm. So it pretty much covers most of the eastern coast of the United right. States. Right. It's found as far west as eastern Texas, right. up into Oklahoma, Missouri. And it goes as far north as to like southern Maine. Wow. And then all the way down into central Florida. So it has a wide range. Right. And it, I read that it can exist in quite a bit of uh, soil types. It prefers well-drained, loamy soils. Um, but I also read that it grows better in the South than it does in those colder climates. Like, uh, it's more of a brushy, shrubby yeah. tree up there, and we can get some, some decent size. Nothing, you're not going to be seeing a 90-foot-tall sassafras tree. No, <laughs> I do think they can max out at around 50 feet, which is pretty big. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think, from what I understand, it's pretty decent wildlife value as far as uh, wildlife likes to browse on the leaves. Also, the branches. I'm trying to remember if there's a fruit of any kind. Uh, not that I can uh, they have fruit, but I have no idea if it's for good enough for the wildlife. <laughs> um, sorry. We yeah, don't have I've that nev- information. Yeah, I've never met any uh, landowners that are gung ho about deer that are like, oh, yeah. Sassafras. Need, need some sassafras yeah. on my property. <laughs> <laughs> but still a cool tree to come across. I think landowners definitely appreciate it, at least in Louisiana, because it was becoming more rare to see. Um, I didn't read anything about a blight, but I've heard some talk. Of a I've heard it mentioned, but yeah, I'm sure if it was a big deal, we would know about it. Right. It would be very well known. Right. We would have heard about it in our undergrad classes where we yeah. do presentations on <laughs> yeah. major diseases and whatnot. Um, awesome. Well, that is the sassafras tree. Anything else we could add? I think we pretty much covered. Nice. Good old sassafras. Well, we'll move on to our much more uh, morbid topic of the day. <laughs> doesn't have to be morbid. Fire is a very useful management tool, but when it comes to wildfire, very dangerous, very expensive, and deadly. So that's where we're leading to today. And uh, if anyone's been watching the news lately, we're hearing about wildfires, obviously, in the western part of the U.S., um, British Columbia, um, Turkey, Greece, all over some some pretty drastic wildfires that are mostly driven by uh, some some areas it's historic drought others it's it's seasonal but um, 
I guess we could first start talking about the Dixie Fire in California. Yeah, and I think you did a little bit of research on that fire, so I'll let you start. Sure, sure. So, yep, it's currently the third largest fire in California history, not in U.S. history, but in California history. Um, Let's see, how many acres? Well, it's in hectares, which hectares, about two and a half acres, am I correct? Roughly. Yeah. Um, So, so far, it has threatened about 10,000 homes at this point. It started, uh, most wildfires get their name from the road, nearest road where it started, and so this one started near Dixie Road. I didn't read what started it yet. I don't know if they figured that out. I haven't heard. Yeah. Um, But anyway, it started in a very remote area, um, wildland area, and gradually worked its way towards some communities, and the, the most recent community that it destroyed was Greenville, which is a mountain community, destroyed 100 homes there so far. Um, Yeah, I heard that on the news this morning. Yeah, 175,000 hectares burned so far as of this morning, and it's only 35% contained. So the outlook could be bleak. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's mostly being driven by shifting winds and bone-dry vegetation. They've been talking about historic drought in that area, I remember another news article about a lake somewhere in the West that's the lowest it's ever been. Um, obviously not good because when we talk about the fire triangle, what fuels a fire, the three things you need for fire are oxygen, heat, and fuel. And when you couple that with bone dry um, vegetation and, and ground. Um, and then you get a good wind going. Yeah. Bad. Bad news bears. That's right. You guys need to listen to Smokey. Well, I don't know. See, I don't know about that. Back in the... <laughs> well, Smokey's a new right, right. campaign. The new and improved Smokey. Yeah. Um, obviously, anybody who's, who's taken some natural resource classes um, in undergrad, undergrad uh, I remember our professors telling us, that darn Smokey the Bear. I know. <laughs> Convincing everybody not to burn their property as though any type of fire was bad, but as we've come to learn today, fire management is crucial toward av- avoiding wildland fires um, that get out of control and burn and damage tons of property. Well, you use good fire to prevent bad fire. Correct. Correct. And I think that's been the biggest problem for the West is, you know, they're not using prescribed fire and it's just creating so much fuel that it's going to burn at some point. And when it does, it's going to be catastrophic. Right. And that's, you know, that's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Thinking about the West for me, having lived in the Southeast um, for most of my life, all of my life, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's hard for me to think about the idea of wildlands, just vast amounts of acreage where no one is living. You might not have good access roads and things like that. That's a totally different ball game. Same for me. Over there than it is here in the southeast. I feel like everything here is, is accessible. Um, you, you don't have vast amounts of area where a fire can get out and not be controlled. And I think that's one of the reasons our wildfires are nowhere even close to being as bad as they are out west. Right. Because we can access those roads. We can get in and put in a fire break and stop those fires. Right. And, that yeah, so that's one of the problems with these these. California or Western fires is it's just so hard to get where you need to go 
to build a fire line and, and to really really stop these things and another thing is local climate you know here we're we are so much more humid mm-hmm. and have so much more rainfall that you know if we have a wildfire come up but then if we have a good thunderstorm come in that'll help put that fire out right and out west you know they go months at a time without rain yeah so that's another compounding factor that makes these wildfires so bad oh yeah i um so i interned for the fish and wildlife service in um at their southeast louisiana refuges in undergrad and so they had me do my wildland firefighter training like some of the very first basic classes it was very interesting because they teach you all about how to understand the wind how to understand how the wind might shift based on the type of clouds you see in the sky and the type of terrain you're on which was really cool um i can't remember a lot of that but i had the <laughs> training and i still have all the books so i need to review it um but i remember we worked a fire in a marsh in southwest louisiana it was on a refuge and it was basically some marsh a it was a levied pond type area very large area on the refuge that they wanted to burn they drew they drew down all the water they wanted to burn it and then they were going to bring the water back up and restock with bass i guess vegetation had just kind of gotten out of control i think there was some invasive stuff they wanted to get rid of as well and um it was, it was a cool experience it was my first fire and everything and we had to set up fire lines before the fire but anyway while i was there i learned that that refuge was known for having the most wildfires every year and it was just weird to think about like really southwest louisiana yeah (laughs) but really all it was was because it was a very dry marsh type of area and it was all mostly from lightning strikes and the fires were very small easy to to contain and uh but they were very proud of that statistic (laughs) (laughs) that's the same way here um we have lots of wildfires that happen but they're so small you don't even hear about them and they Mm -hmm. All they're doing is they're burning out in the woods right. and they contain them really quick. And actually, they're probably beneficial, you know, to the natural areas to have those small little fires. Right. You know, it's just like a prescribed fire that just happened to pop up. Right. You know, same kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that this kind of brings us to the point of public outreach and getting the public to understand the benefit of fire and why these things need to happen. And I feel since I moved here um, that these types of communities that see fires all the time off the interstate when you're driving, driving, you'll see a big plume of smoke. And you nine times out of ten, that is a prescribed uh, fire that's being managed. I feel like people understand what's happening, why it's beneficial. But as far as the national community, getting people to understand why fire management is so important, um, it's it's a big deal and something that people need to know more about, especially when they see in the news what's going on in the West and what could have possibly prevented some of these wildfires from happening. Yeah, I agree. I think the West could learn a lot from, you know, the areas that we're in. Uh, Nothing against, you know, the people who work out there. They do great work. Um, And I don't, I know I'm not familiar with those areas, but, um, you know, to me, where we live in the U.S., most of the forest types at some point are supposed to really supposed to receive fire. Mm-hmm. You know, historically, they were going to receive fire at some point. You know, that's just the nature of where we are. Mm-hmm. And we suppress these fires for years and years and years. 
and it's built up the fuel so much that it's going to burn, you know, and then when it does burn, it's going to be so catastrophic, you know, and it's just, you know, a bunch of factors have contributed to why, you know, we have these terrible wildfires. You have climate change, you have overstocking of trees, you have um, heavy fuel loads, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's just a lot of issues that you have to address, you know, to manage these fires. Right. And you're talking about out in the West. I mean, even here in the South, I mean, we've gotten better about it here in the South, Mm -hmm. but I mean, all over the U.S., you know, the number one thing used to be, you know, fire suppression, stop the fire. Right. And, you know, here in the South, that, that mindset has shifted away, which is good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think it is starting to shift that way in the West. Um, it just hasn't progressed as quickly there as it has here. Right. And well, part of me wonders is it was the damage already done. You've, you've had so much fuel built up over the years from that previous um, belief system of, of fire suppression that now we're just kind of paying the price because you don't have enough uh, power, you know, human power to go and mitigate. Absolutely. Um, so, and obviously we have the other argument of, of climate change that, that with a warming environment, we're going to see more of these things. We're going to see more frequent drought. Um, I haven't looked up any of the science on this i have seen where they predict that it said like the southeast the southwest the pacific coast the great plains Mm -hmm. rocky mountains pretty much all of the u.s is expected to have a longer fire season with hot more uh intense fires in that fire season so i mean they're expected to have more fires right But I don't think it's just climate change. I don't think it's just fire suppression. It's a combination. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of hard to figure out exactly what is the one thing causing all these things. But uh, we have a lot of really hardworking people, hardworking firefighters out there. I mean, you can't help but have a lot of respect for those people. I have all the respect (laughs) in the world for those those people. They are great. Yeah. I remember because that one time I worked a fire, we were were in the, the truck had the it wasn't like a typical fire truck you'd see in the city you know it was like a wild man fire truck with a water tank and uh and all that and i remember we were driving close to the fire and the the window on the glass window on the vehicle was so hot driving next to that fire and it just makes me think of what those people deal with that are out in that fire all the time you see the videos of them and it's like they're in a smoldered area or walking through it with all the smoke and then like the big big planes coming over dropping water yeah whatever and you're like gosh but i've heard that they make they can make their living like six months and then they're do whatever they want the rest of the year i mean it's Um, a very dangerous job so i mean they deserve to be paid well oh yeah absolutely um so when i was with the fish and wildlife service there were some guys that were that was all they did was wildland firefighters they were based in louisiana they would help out with our day-to-day stuff during the off season it wasn't fire season and then they were gone the rest of the year whenever it was prime fire season, wherever the big fires yeah. were. And uh, that, it was just interesting to me to learn of that as, as a career for somebody. Uh, yeah, we have guys of- here um, that work for the Florida Forest Service that mm-hmm. they're the same way. You know, if they have a big fire somewhere, they hop in the truck and they go. Yeah. And they stay there until the fire's put out. Wow. Was it, was it Australia last year that was having the big fire? We had the horrible fire, yes. Yeah. It was like December, early January of 
2020. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty crazy. I remember we were flying firefighters over there mm-hmm. to help out. That was how bad it was. Ah, pretty wild. Maybe we'll we'll have our chance at doing that one day. Who knows? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's see some more interesting facts about the current fire that's going on the Dixie Fire. It's only three weeks old that this thing has been burning, so fairly recent. Um, and it's one of 100 large fires that are active in the U.S. West right now. They're mostly in the West, but it's 14 states. 100 large fires encompassing 14 states, most of which are in the West. Yeah, I saw a map this morning that showed where each of the fires were located, um, and they were basically all in the West, and there's yeah. just like little dots everywhere where the fires were. Wow. It's crazy. You know, that would be... because. Because our experience is limited with the West and fires and things Absolutely. Like that. It would be awesome for us to get a, you know, guest speaker, um, just guests come talk to us about what it, what the ecology is like over there. Fire yeah, because I, I have no idea. Yeah. You know, my experience is limited to the Southeast. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, stay tuned, listeners. That will be something we're going to work on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm sure there's plenty of people that would love to come talk to us about it. Um. Yeah. So, I also wrote down that the deadliest fire in California history since the Dixie Fire is the third largest, not the third deadliest, the third largest. The largest and deadliest in California history was the Camp Fire that happened in 2018, and there were 85 people that died. Um, and one of the towns that got completely destroyed was a town called Paradise, and this current fire is heading toward that town right now. And they said that they're even having some residents are so angry that as firefighters are trying to get them to evacuate, some residents are coming at the firefighters with guns in hand saying, no, I'm yeah, not leaving. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. And yet they're so frustrated that their town might be destroyed again. And I just can't imagine living in an environment like that. That's I know. Just, that's just wild. Um in Louisiana, towns that dealt with something like that were the towns where it was the flooding seems to be getting worse. You know, um, there's a little town called Butte La Rose where every time the Mississippi River gets high, they're at risk of their whole town and their houses being inundated. And it's just wow to think about having to worry about that I know. all the time. It's just crazy. Um, well, was there any other uh, publications you saw that were pretty? I did uh, look through one that said that uh, that the reason that uh, wildfires have increased in the past few decades was because of fire suppression, human-caused climate change, and overstocking of forests. They, they said that were the three main things, and they gave they listed out some ways that we can try to mitigate this. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that we could mitigate these fires they never said well, you know we can stop these wildfires but right. ways we can mitigate it and when they do break out we can do our best to contain it mm-hmm. is we have to go in and we have to thin these forests okay. we have to go out and we got to cut trees out we have to remove brush get basically get rid of the fuel right you know because that's you know that there's no fuel the fires mm-hmm. can't go anywhere right um and ways they said that is we need to go in we need to harvest trees right. um which creates its own problem because you have, like you said, these vast acres and acres of area that are very difficult to access. Right. So that creates a problem in itself. And also they said we need to start implementing more prescribed fires. Mm. 
and there's all kinds of issues that come up with prescribed fire. <laughs> like here where we are in Florida, we are a right to burn state. So if you come up with a fire plan and a, you know what you're doing, they're going to let you burn mm -hmm. as long as the conditions are right. They'll let you burn. But out west, I know it's much more difficult to burn. Their fire policies are crazy right. strict. Well, it's much more risky too, right? Absolutely, and that's why they're more strict. Yeah. And they don't have, you know, these great windows where they can just burn for two weeks. You know, here in Florida, we go through periods where I know up at the local state forest, they burn like every day for two weeks straight because it's perfect fire season mm -hmm. and they can just light prescribed fires and burn you know 100 acres by noon right and be done wow. and they do that every day for two weeks you know you can't do that out west because they don't have the right conditions for that mm -hmm. so that's that's another issue that they have wow yeah that's tough i wasn't there a fire here a year ago they got it's out? about a year ago yes mm -hmm. and the interesting about thing about that was it was actually started out as a prescribed fire mm -hmm. um and you know they had a fire plan the conditions were right i mean it was just like any other normal burn but halfway through the burn the wind shifted unexpectedly yeah and they couldn't contain it wow. but um it burned through a couple small little neighborhoods mm -hmm. um, but i don't think there was any fatalities and they ended up containing it i think it took about a week and a half two weeks okay interesting but i don't know how many acres it burned but yeah. I mean, it's minute compared to what's going on out west. Yeah. You know, something that might be interesting for a future episode is um, covering policy when it comes to things like that. Absolutely. Of, of like, who's liable uh, if a fire gets out and depending on what caused it and how it got out. Like, say you went to all the measures you were supposed to. You got the permit. You told the fire chief or whatever that you'd be burning that day. Conditions were right. But then things just happen to change and the fire gets out, damage to property happens. Are you still liable even though you did everything you were supposed to do right? And I don't know all the ins and outs, but I do know, you know, a little bit about Florida's policy. And if you do all those things you said where you write up a good fire plan, mm -hmm. you submit it to the Forest Service, they approve it. You go out and you do what you're supposed to and everything, all the conditions are right and then you have an unexpected wind change mm -hmm. and you know it burns up some houses as long as you there has to be proven negligence like, right without a doubt negligence for you to be liable for what happens with that fire right so i mean the guy like the fire we were talking about he he's not liable for any of that because he did everything he was supposed to do mm -hmm. yep it's uh we'll, we'll leave that to the injury attorneys to yes. fight over. <laughs> yes. Um I, I think one case study we studied in um one of my Mississippi State classes, it was natural resource policy and it was say there's an interstate and you have property on either side. This one landowner had decided to do a burn, the got the okay, got the okay from the local fire chief that the weather would be okay on this certain day. Person goes to fi uh burn and all of a sudden, a wind comes up later in the day. The smoke starts to go over the interstate so thick that it caused a wreck on the interstate. And so the debate was over who's liable. Was the negligence there on the landowner? And now you have this, um, you know, this accident where the drivers weren't expecting smoke 
invisible, you know, uh, smoke that that decreased visibility so bad that would cause a wreck. How are they supposed to be liable when they couldn't control that? And um, unfortunately, I can't remember the answer to what happened there. <laughs> we'll reveal it next episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's me and you ask me that question, I'm saying the guy who's burning is not liable because he did everything that was right. Mm-hmm. And we have to allow people to burn. Right. You know, there is, there's always going to be some risk, but it far outweighs the risk of not burning these areas mm-hmm. because they're going to burn at some point in time. Right. I mean, it's inevitable. And if you don't let the guy burn in a controlled environment and run that little bit of risk, when it does burn, it's going to be catastrophic. Yeah. And you're going to have far worse than a wreck on the interstate. Right. So that's sure. that's my opinion. Um, I'm sure there are many others who disagree with me, but I think that you know we have to let these guys burn. Right. Yeah, I agree. If I remember correctly, I think it, the landowner was not liable. I'm trying to remember though how it worked out for the drivers. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I do know a lot of these guys who, you know, that do prescribe burning for a living. Um, they have insurance policies that probably help cover a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's where the insurance comes in handy. Yes. <laughs> now, now I wonder if there's, is there a requirement or how, how does that, what insurance does that play into? Um, I don't think you have to in Florida. I mean, it's going to be different state to state. Yeah. And I'm not 100% sure on that. Right. But uh, we'll look into it. It's always good to have you know, to cover yourself. Get some insurance if you're going to be burning. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, let's see. There was something else I was going to bring up. And I'm blanking my mind right now. <laughs> but it was interesting to talk about fire policy. Really, we could do a whole show. Oh, absolutely. Policy. We could talk hours and hours about fire <laughs> policy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually heard, and I don't know, you know, how much truth there is to this. I actually heard this in one of my classes in undergrad. We were talking about, you know, burning policies and going through creating a fire plan. And we were talking about how Florida is a right to burn state and that you can write a fire plan the day before you burn. Right. I heard out in California that you have to have your fire plan submitted like two weeks before you decide to burn, which is crazy because you have no idea what the weather's going to be like in two weeks. Because it takes, they said it takes two weeks to get it approved. So by the time you go through that process, get it approved in two weeks, you might be able to get get it burned. Yeah. So that's just another one of the problems they have out west. Right. You know, they need to work on these policies and come up with something that's, you know, a little more easier for guys to get out there and burn. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because there's so much risk involved. I know. <laughs> uh, it's definitely a very big problem that doesn't have an easy answer. Yeah, yeah. We need we need to call in a forest service. Absolutely. Somebody who person from has some experience or, with this. Yeah. I think I know some people. Maybe not from California, but people that know people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, reach out to them and see what they can Yeah, that'd be great. To talk to. Um. All right. Well, we have made it to our 35 minutes. Oh, wow. I know. It's quick, right? Yeah, I know. I feel <laughs> like there's so much more to talk about. Almost like we need a wildfire string of episodes. We could do like a whole season of just wildfire. 
I think I'd be sick of wildfire by the, <laughs> by the end of that. Um, well, this has been good. I hope we've talked about some fun topics for people, maybe enlightened some people. Um, hopefully, we'll, we'll post this on Twitter, maybe get a shred of comments going on other topics. Absolutely. I think that would be good. Keep the, keep the educational dialogue going. And if you have information you want to share with us, you think we're wrong or you think there's something that you know we need to talk about please let us know absolutely we'd love to hear we're open to criticism just don't be too nasty yeah (laughs) (laughs) please we can take it though we can or can we just just remember that we are we're very green (laughs) we are green but we're we're here to to learn and share knowledge and and that always leads to better better absolutely Anyway, well, I think we'll sign off for today. Alrighty. I'm John Tracy. I'm Ashton Show. And this has been Between Every Two Pines. See you guys later. Wait. Stick with me just one more second. Before we let you go, I wanted to update you on where things stand with the Dixie Fire. As it turns out, when we first recorded this episode, it was the beginning of August 2021. The fire was only three weeks old, and it had burned about 175,000 hectares. It was the third largest fire in state history. Well, now, as I'm working on this episode, it's the end of August. It's about three weeks later, and the fire is now the second largest fire in California history. It's burned about 312,000 acres. Thankfully, there's been no recorded loss of life yet. At the time when we recorded, it was also 35% contained, and now it's 48% contained. So while there's been improvements, there's still a good ways to go with this fire. I also wanted to mention that we didn't really know what the cause of the fire was at the time, but as it turns out, uh, a power company has come forward and said that they believe that one of their power lines sparked the fire uh, out in a remote area. And these kind of things go hand in hand, unfortunately. This particular power company has uh, unfortunately been the cause of other wildfires in the past, but... We all need energy. We all need electricity. And um, I guess the the best route to go would be to try and put these power lines underground if you could. Um, But it takes time to do all those things. So the last thing I wanted to mention is I'm very excited that we're going to have Joe Zwerzkowski joining us on uh, either the next episode or the episode after that. He's a local uh, wildfire expert. He's a firefighter and a local forester in our area. And he goes out to the west and helps fight these wildfires. Uh, I'm not sure how many years he's done it, but he's been doing it the past few years at least. And he's currently on a fire in Oregon, and he's going to come in and tell us all about uh, what he's learned this year and what he's experienced in the past. And he's also going to teach us about fire mitigation efforts here at home. So I thank you so much for staying with us, for listening, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time.